We're going to hear God speaking to us now. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 7? Mark's Gospel chapter 7. We're going to read part of chapter 7 and a little bit of chapter 8 of Mark. Mark chapter 7, we'll start at verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Then chapter 8, verse 22. 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't go into the village. Now we're going to bring our needs to God again. Let's all pray. Father, thank you. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we need that because we can't afford to start the week without looking to you. We can't manage it on our own. And Father, we're here now to look to you. Please give us our food, our health, our strength for each day. Forgive us. We so often just take that for granted, grumble when we don't have it and are unthankful when we do have it. But we need you to provide for us. We provide including for those who are struggling with their daily physical existence, struggling with poor health,
struggling with old age. We think particularly of Francis in hospital and we're sad that he's back in hospital again. Please give him what he needs physically in his body and the care he needs and restore him and bring him back out of hospital. Father, please give us love. How can we go through this week uh, without love? Because everything is to flow from loving you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and loving our neighbours ourselves. And give us love so that we want to display Jesus because we love him and because we love those who need him. May we want to display him to those around us and may we live in a way that commends him to others. Please, Father, give us opportunities to make people think about their needs, to to provoke them to consider the claims of the Bible. Please give us opportunities to do so and wisdom to know how to take up and use those opportunities. Please, Father, give us fellowship with you. May we this week have times when we seek you and know that this isn't just a human activity of reading the Bible and saying some words in prayer, but we really are having, you are having interaction with us. Please, Father, give us protection. We're going out into a week where there will be temptations and where we live in a society that's quite hostile to you and full of all sorts of ideas that are quite contrary to the truth. Please protect us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because there, as well as the world, is our flesh, our sinful inclinations, and the devil. And Father, all of this, we don't just pray for ourselves. We've got brothers and sisters at this moment in poverty, and brothers and sisters at this moment in war-torn places, and brothers and sisters at this moment in prison and persecuted. And brothers and sisters at this moment on the mission field, and some of them are discouraged, and some of them are finding it hard to keep going. Please, Father, provide for our brothers and sisters around the world, your children, we ask, as we bring all of these prayers to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now we've got a creche for little preschool children. And we've got a group for reception year to year three that's about to start. Please do notice that. I say that every time. Then I'm told some people are bringing their children along who are outside those year groups. And that's a bit of a difficulty for the leaders. So it is reception to year three. And they're on their way already. While they're going, uh, something that's in our church email, it tells you that there is a um, conference about evangelism, about our personal evangelism at New Life Community Church this coming Saturday. If you're interested in that, look at the church email. If you don't get that, ask me about it. And it it would be helpful for them to know numbers coming. So if you're intending to go, could you let me know or David Donagani know? That would be helpful. Now, who are you? Who are you? So many confusing messages around about who we are. And yet, it's the foundation, really, for so much in life to be clear who we are. And so we're going to sing a song that's about our identity. Let's stand to sing.
Who we are is something our society is very confused about. I wonder if you've noticed that society's thrown away belief in God and thinks it can stop there, but it doesn't stop there. Because now it doesn't know what to believe about us humans, who we are, what we are. It says, you, you're not worth very much. Our society says, you're not worth very much. In fact, about five pounds. When I get the figure of five pounds from... Well, you're made of some sulfur and some carbon and some potassium and quite a lot of water and a few other things, about five pounds worth of chemicals. Well, you say, of course I'm worth more than just the chemicals I'm made of. Of course we're more than just chemicals. Oh, well, our society says there is nothing more than chemicals. There is nothing more than the physical. You're just a load of chemicals. In fact, the human race is just a speck in the universe, and it's just a moment in evolutionary history. Not worth very much. And yet our society also says, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are entitled to rights and to self-determination 
And you can choose to be whoever you want to be. You are worthy. It it doesn't make sense. It's contradictory. Now, the Bible says completely the opposite. And it does make sense. The Bible says you are worth so much. Because you were made by God as the image of God. You were made to represent and reflect God. That makes you worth so much. But at the same time, the Bible says you are not worthy. And it isn't a contradiction. It's actually because you are worth so much, you've misused that precious image of God. You've taken something worth so much, the image of God, that's supposed to reflect God and turned it in on self. And that image of God has got spoiled, has got broken. How can that image of God be mended? Well, we're told in Mark chapter 7 and 8. Let's turn to it again. For those who don't know, we're in a series going through Mark's gospel. And we've got into Mark chapter 7. And we're going to look at the end of Mark 7 and part of Mark 8, the bits we read. And I've put those three bits together because they are three miracles. And three miracles where the image of God is mended. And three miracles that each have something odd about them. Well, you might say a miracle is odd, but particularly odd things here, that teach us a lesson. Here we see Jesus mending the image of God. And the aim of Mark writing it in his gospel is to get us to trust Jesus to mend us. But as we see Jesus, I hope we will also see something of ourselves and get a better understanding of ourselves. So we're going to just take each miracle one by one. And by the way, we're spending most time in the first miracle. Then we'll speed up a bit. First miracle, mending unentitled people. This is verses 24 to 30. Jesus has travelled to a new area. Verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Soon a woman finds out that he's there and she comes with a request. Verse 25, As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. She wants Jesus to deliver her little daughter from demon possession. Now, what's this thing, demon possession? That sounds really very odd. The Bible says there are evil spiritual powers. There are angels in rebellion against God. In verse 25, it's called an evil spirit. In verse 26, it's called a demon. Now, we must be very cautious about this. Because there are people and churches that have been quick to say, oh, that's demon possession, oh, that's the work of an evil spirit. Someone has an illness, or there's some trouble. They've been quick to say, demon possession, evil spirits. And some have done a lot of damage with this quickness to say, that's an evil spirit, that's a demon. They've damaged people by telling people you're controlled by an evil spirit or there's a demon and let us cast it out of you. Now, I don't see anything in the Bible to say that demon possession cannot happen today. But I also don't see the Bible telling us to expect it today. That's important. I don't see the Bible telling us that it cannot happen. But I don't see the Bible telling us expect it today. Why do I say that? Well, how much history does the Bible cover from Genesis to Revelation? Or maybe more fairly, let's cut out Revelation from Genesis to the time of Acts. It's thousands of years. 
but you only read about demon possession during a very short time period. The last three years of Jesus' life and the start of the church. That's a tiny proportion of the thousands of years. And it's not a normal period, that period. That is the crucial crunch time in the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And so the Bible is not saying this is normal. Expect life to normally be like that. Say, here is a very unusual, very small part of the Bible's history. So I don't see it saying it cannot happen today, but I don't see it saying expect it, it's normal today. No. Okay, let's get back to the story. This woman's daughter is controlled by an evil spirit. That is a drastic spoiling of the image of God. Back in Genesis chapter 2, it describes us being made as the image of God. It said God made man and woman. Well, it starts with God making man. And it says God breathed life into us. That's interesting. Do you know the word there, breath, that God breathed into us, is the same word as spirit. We were made to have the spirit of God activating us, giving us life as it should be, controlling us. But instead, this little girl has an evil spirit controlling her. The image of God has got spoiled. But Jesus frees her. Verse 29, then he told the mother, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. A demonstration that Jesus mends the broken image of God. He frees us from the power of sin controlling us so we can reflect God as his spirit activates and controls us. Now, I've just there not said much about the miracle because, well, it isn't described very much. Uh, There isn't much, in a sense, to say about the miracle because we're not told much about the miracle itself. What is described to us in verses 24 to 30? What, What is there more focus on? The conversation, if you can call it a conversation, between Jesus and the mother. So, This is what is odd about this story. What's odd about the story? Is there anything that struck you as odd as you read it, apart from this thing about demon possession? Well, it's in verse 27. This is what I'm thinking of. Verse 27. First let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. What has Jesus just done? He just called this mother and her daughter dogs. That's the thing that's odd here. He just called them dogs. Do you like dogs? What sort of dogs are you thinking about at the moment? You might think about a golden retriever, a Jack Russell, a poodle, a pit bull terrier. What sort of dog do you think of? It's interesting, the word here in verse 28 Uh, Sorry, verse 27 is the word for little dogs. So maybe you think of Labrador puppies playing with toilet rolls in uh, in an Andrex advert. Now, that's not what Jesus means. He is not calling this mother and daughter cute. Okay, some people have tried claiming that because it says little dogs. That is really an overreading. That's people pretending to know more than they do. He's not calling them cute. Dogs were not pets. People did not keep dogs as pets there. Dogs were scavengers, unclean, unpleasant scavengers. 
And the key to all this is the woman and her daughter were not Jewish. Verse 26, she was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. And the Jews regarded non-Jews as unclean, like dogs. In fact, they called them dogs. Jesus here is voicing the Jewish attitude, you are an unclean outsider, you have no right to a miracle. That's what he's voicing. And what is her response? What would be your response if someone calls you a dog? Slap in the face, storm off. What's her response? Verse 28. Yes, Lord. It's, it's, it's amazing. She's just been called a dog and she calls him Lord. And by the way, this is the only place in Mark's gospel where anyone calls Jesus Lord. And it's a woman who's just been called a dog. And she seems to accept that she's a dog in her answer in verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She seems to be saying, I don't have a right to anything, but I am going to scavenge for something. I may be a scavenger, an unclean one, but I'm going to do some scavenging. Why? Because she knows she has this need. And she knows Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. He is the only one who can mend the broken image of God that is her daughter. So verse 25, we've already read, as soon as she heard about Jesus, there she is. She's got a need. Verse 25, she fell at his feet because she's got a need. Verse 26, she begged him because she's got a need. And verse 28, he may have called her a dog, but she's going to persist because she's got a need. What's it all teaching us? What are we supposed to get from this? That we don't come, or at least we mustn't come, to Jesus with a sense of entitlement, but we must come to him with a sense of need. Don't come to him with a sense of entitlement. This woman doesn't stamp her feet And say, I demand my rights. She says, yes, Lord, but I am going to scavenge for something. I may not be entitled to it, but I'm here asking for it and I'm persisting. Don't come to Jesus with a sense of entitlement. Do come to him with a sense of need. We live in a society that conditions us to feel entitled. For all the time, it's telling us that we are entitled I'll give you a very silly little example, but it does reflect our society. What famous advertising slogan is 50 years old this year? You know, it's a famous advertising slogan, and it's been around for 50 years this year. It's for L'Oreal. L'Oreal make, I'm I'm not even sure what they make. It's something to do with hair, isn't it? I don't use it, but I'm not sure. L'Oreal. And what's their slogan? Because you're worth it. Apparently I should wave my hair as I say that. I won't try. Because you're worth it. Now, you you don't read deep philosophy into a L'Oreal advert, although it might surprise you to know I read a Vogue article. I don't read Vogue, but I I researched my, I researched my um, illustration. I read a Vogue article that was trying to read deep philosophy into L'Oreal's slogan and what a, a meaningful slogan this is. Now, it's just a way of making money. But, It does reflect our society because you're worth it. You deserve better. Stand up for your rights. 
You are entitled. I heard a Christian use a little rhyme, and it went like this. Every person, in every nation, in each succeeding generation, has the right to hear the news that Jesus saves. What do you think of that rhyme? I was a bit puzzled by that rhyme. Has the right to hear that Jesus saves? I think if we think that the gospel is a right, we haven't really got what the gospel is. By the way, that rhyme would well reflect this this, um, parable if we just changed the word right to need. Every person in every nation, in each succeeding generation, has the need to hear that Jesus saves. This mother and her daughter teach us we don't have. We don't have the right. Get rid of any idea that you are entitled to anything from God. By the way, that's why we began the service with those wonderful words from Romans 11 that are so exalting about God, but they also say, who's given to God that God should repay you? God is not under any obligation to rescue us, to forgive us, to do anything for us. Nobody can complain, God has denied me my rights. But if we stop there, if we stop there, the tone would be quite wrong. How does the story end? Don't miss how it ends. Verse 29 and 30. Well, I've already said, Jesus mended the daughter. Jesus healed her. Because you aren't entitled to anything from God, but you are offered everything you need. Because God isn't under obligation to save anyone, but he is eager and ready to save everyone. Because this mother and daughter were unclean outsiders, who Jesus provocatively called dogs, but Jesus had purposely gone to the area where unclean outsiders lived. Because right from the start, it was his intention to save such people. And the reason he called her a dog was just to provoke and bring out that faith that would cling on to and keep hold of him. Jesus, we we can't demand our rights from Jesus, but we can confidently go for our need to Jesus because he is ready and eager. Let's move on to the second miracle, verses 31 to 37, and see in a different way the image of God being mended. Let's think a bit about the image of God. I went to visit Malcolm and Ruth, who most of you know are missionaries that we uh, support in Latvia. And I flew to Riga on a Friday. And I didn't know that Riga is a big destination for stag dudes. So the plane was full of slightly drunk men. And they were filling the plane with their foul language. Ah, It's just like... These men didn't seem to be able to string a sentence together that didn't have foul language in it. And I was sitting there getting more and more annoyed. Because, as I was trying to say to the children, speech, being able to speak, is a great gift from God. And to hear it misused by these people. By the way, the plane home on the Monday was much more pleasant. I think they were all hungover and they were very quiet. But the misuse of speech is a grievous thing because because speaking is a reflection of the God who speaks and whose son is even called the word. So here we have a man 
where the image of God is broken in the area of speech. Let's read verse 31 and 32 again. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. By the way, those are all uh, Gentile areas. There's a big theme here that I can't go into with Jesus' work amongst Gentiles. He's choosing to work among them. Verse 32, there were some people brought to, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hand on the man. The image of God has been broken in this man, speaking and hearing. Two ways we reflect God. And Jesus mends the image of God. Verse 35. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Something godlike is restored in him. And the people are amazed and they comment on this and their comment has more truth than they probably realize. Verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. Yes, he has done everything well. It's a very good phrase because Jesus came to mend the image of God. He came to restore how things were when God made them and how were things when God made them. What was God's comment on his creation? It was all very good which is basically what these people are saying, all have done very well. Jesus has come to restore creation. And the next phrase has got a lot to it. Verse 37, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I wonder if they had remembered Isaiah 35, verse 5, that's a prophecy of the Messiah. And it says the Messiah will make the deaf hear and the mute speak and will open the eyes of the blind, which we'll come on to in a few minutes. There's the miracle. I've, I've just gone through it very briefly because I want to next focus on this. What is odd about this story? What do you find odd about this miracle? How Jesus does it. Children, what would you think of someone spitting on their hand and then putting their hand on your tongue? Yeah, don't try it to your brother or sister. Yeah, that'd be a good way to spread COVID around, wouldn't it? Yeah, does it sound a good way to heal? What do you think about someone putting their fingers in your ears? Does that sound a good way to make your hearing better? And that's what Jesus does here. Verse 33, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue, which almost certainly means spat on his hand and touches the man's tongue with it. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, that that tests your ability to speak, that word. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Some people have said, this is typical primitive ideas of magic. Clearly not. Just look at the miracle before. Jesus didn't have any fancy actions. We don't even read a word he said. He didn't even go to the girl. Jesus' miracles are never portrayed in this conjuring trick type of way. So why does he do these things? The actions must be symbolic. Jesus didn't need to do them. We know that from the previous miracle. They are pictures to teach us something. What do they teach us? Well, what do you think of when you read about fingers 
and ears and spit and touching a tongue and looking and sighing. It's all very bodily. It's all very much to do with Jesus' body. Saliva and fingers and breath. It's all stuff of Jesus' body. To us, it sounds really odd, doesn't it? Fancy using saliva and fingers and sighing. Fancy using his body in this way. That sounds odd. But I wonder if it sounds odd because we have we've forgotten the cross. Because we're so familiar with it that the gospel has come to us, become to us maybe almost a theory, a set of principles. And we forget Jesus had to get a body. For the image of God to be mended, Jesus, the son of God, had to get a body. He needed hands that would be nailed to a cross. He needed real blood that would drip and spurt. He needed lungs that would be squeezed of breath. He needed saliva that would be dried up in a parched throat until he was a dead body, not speaking, not hearing, the image of God broken in our place so we could be mended. Let's move on to the third miracle, chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. Mending takes time. Now, let's have a think about the image of God that's being demonstrated here in this miracle. When we say we're the image of God, we sometimes say it's not that that God looks like our body. It's not that God has a body like ours. That's true. But are our bodies made in the image of God? Are our bodies? Your ears. Are your ears in the image of God? Well, God doesn't have ears, but he does hear. Your eyes. Does God have eyes? No, but he does see. Your brain. Does God have a brain? Not in the sort of purple spongy-like sense that you have, but he does think. Your body does reflect God. Your body is a great gift. Be thankful for your body. God made it to reflect something of his character and his abilities. And here's a man where something of that reflection of God has been broken. Chapter 8, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Seeing is a godlike ability and it's got broken in him. And Jesus does mend him. Verse 25, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored. The image of God mended, restored. Now, again, I've... I've skipped over the most striking thing in this very short uh, miracle. What is odd about this story? Let's read again verse 23 and 24. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Children, imagine that. You can see some things moving and you know they must be people because trees don't move, do they? Except in the Lord of the Rings. But they look like trees. There's this fuzzy green at the top and brown and the colours are everything blurry. These man's eye, This man's eyes clearly are not working properly. Did Jesus have a first attempt at healing him and then got it wrong? 
that he had first attempt and okay, I've managed it partially, but uh, now, I've, now I've got to get it done fully. No, of course not. There's no other miracle like this in the Gospels. Don't read of any time where Jesus had a first attempt and didn't get it right, and then second time, oh, good, got it now. You don't find Jesus ever attempting and failing. It must be a picture to teach us something. But what? What could it be teaching us? Well, the answer is in the verses immediately surrounding this. We might come back to this next time. I'm not sure. But the verses immediately surrounding this tell us the disciples have started to see who Jesus is, but they don't see fully. They've seen enough to start following him, but they still haven't seen, their, their, their picture of him is a bit blurry and fuzzy and they're not trusting him fully. And so verse 21, Jesus said to them, do you still not understand? When they're starting to get worried about some things where they should be trusting him. You've seen enough to follow me, but you're still not understanding. Right after this miracle, Peter has seen enough to see that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Verse 29, Peter answered, you are the Christ, that is the promised Messiah. But Peter seeing Jesus is still pretty blurry and fuzzy. Because in verse 32, Peter starts telling Jesus off. Jesus, you've got things wrong. Well, Peter clearly hasn't seen properly who Jesus is, if he thinks Jesus has got things wrong. This staged miracle, by which I mean it happened in stages, is demonstrating something of us and our spiritual experience. How we can have something of the work of God in us, and yet there's, we aren't the completed thing yet. Think of it a bit like this. When a baby is conceived, when a baby is conceived, it's got all the genetic material it needs. Eye colour, hair colour, build, some abilities, a height. Various things have been set at that moment of conception. All the genetic materials there together. But there's a long way to go yet. There's all that developing in the womb and being born and growing up, and puberty, and maturity, and there's an awful long way to go yet. And it's similar for Jesus remaking us. There's a point at which he gives new life. The technical term is regeneration. It's similar to the word for a baby being conceived. The new life given is is just right. Nothing lacking. Jesus doesn't need any second attempts. The work of Jesus isn't like a COVID vaccination. You need two jabs and then boosters. It's not like that. It's complete. But it takes time for us to grow up. It takes time for the mending he's done to be worked out into all areas of our life. And then one day that mending will be complete when even our bodies will be restored into the image of God. And then we will see Jesus with renewed eyes and I really mean physically renewed eyes and physically seeing him well I hope you've seen something of Jesus this morning I hope you've seen enough of him to make you trust him he can mend you so like that mother with her daughter you ask Jesus to mend you 
Not with a sense of entitlement and demanding, come on God, you owe me. No, but with a sense of need. And of confidence, he can and he's eager and ready. And when you do, you get... Do you remember what the woman said? Even the dogs can can scramble around for crumbs under the table. When you come to Jesus like that, you will get so much more than just crumbs.